Cultivated Marketer, Episode 24, Dr. Danny Legree, Resources for New Professionals on How to Shape Their Career. Hear from public relations professor at Kansas State University and co-founder of the Trajectory Project, Dr. Danny Legree, as she shares the most important thing that a new professional can do to shape their career. Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. Matt, how are we doing today? I am great, Brent. I'm great. Here we are, middle of the winter now, and it's cold outside, but you know, it's also an exciting time, right? We got some sports teams here in our local area that have done quite well, including a certain football team that uses a Native American symbol on the, on the side of their helmet, who's apparently going to be playing football in February. So that's fun. Uh, that is fun. And I am, in fact, continuing to celebrate as I'm wearing red today, you see. <laughs> not, not everyone sees. My, my wife is still burning off the second half on the elliptical machine. She spent the entire wow. second half with all that pent-up nervous energy <laughs> on the elliptical machine during, during the game. So That's funny. That's yeah. funny. Well, it, it's... It's funny I mentioned my wife. So my wife's a K-Stater, and we had the opportunity to speak to pretty tremendous Kansas State individual here in the last last couple of weeks, and she's the focus of our show. Danny Legree, who's a public relations professor at Kansas State University and co-founder of the Trajectory Project, had the pleasure of speaking with her. And Again, a lot to share with us in this last episode around networking and young professionals and how they can shape their career. Yeah, I've known Dr. Danny Legree for a while and and just have been so impressed with her as a researcher. And, you know, she's sort of like myself and a couple of other people I know in academia and that she spent some time as a working professional. And I know we cover that with her before she she made the complete left turn and, and went into academia. And But you can just tell in her voice as she talks, man, uh, just a true labor of love for her because her interest area is, you t- I mean, we talk about having a guest that just perfect for the show. Her interest area and her research area is literally the career progression for young professionals. That's what she focuses on in, in her research and in, in all aspects of same, right? So, you know, what you should be, how you should be uh, behaving as, as a young professional, how you should be thinking about your career progression, networking, you know, just, just everything. And we cover uh, basically all of that territory with her in this episode. So excited to get a chance for folks to hear from her. Yeah. Her, our discussion with her was unlike just about any discussion we've had with any other guest on the show, because we outline, and it's going to be a little longer, folks, because of that. Not too much longer, but a little longer than a traditional episode because we walk through the framework and some of the tips that she shares with the Trajectory Project. Then we ask her about her career, and almost like a case study, she lines up, she lines out through the course of the conversation, she lines out how her own career ended up being a model to some degree for the work she's done with the trajectory project. So that was super cool to to hear that. It's like, oh, you know, you've got this insight that came from this experience and and people can kind of live it real time through through her experiences. Yeah, she knows from when she speaks, no no question about it. 
And, and again, she's just real, real committed to this aspect of helping, you know, young professionals, arming them with what they need to be successful in, in their career. And, and so we, we cover some things we've talked about, you know, in other episodes, uh, particularly around networking and things like that. But we also get into some very interesting areas, including things like, you know, the, the gender divisions in, in marketing communications and how we tend to see, you know, definitely a good representation of, of females in marketing communications. Obviously, I, I know that through my classes, but yet still have some work to do from a representation perspective and some of the upper levels, management levels of marketing comms. And, and she studied that as well. So we have a, a really fascinating discussion around that also. So yeah, just uh, I'm, I'm glad we're making this one a little bit longer because it, it, we've got a lot of territory to cover and she does a great job. Yeah, tremendous to hear her approach and thoughts around the glass ceiling and and the yeah. the gender yeah. the, the gender roles, particularly within the profession. One of the things she also focuses on pretty significantly and and mentions and should be no great surprise to any anyone that's listened to the show is she, she talks about the significance and importance of one's professional network and we kind of we outline that, which is a good segue probably to some professional development opportunities that are forthcoming in the, the area. If folks are within the Kansas City area. I know you and I'll be out and about if folks want to say hi to us on the, at the end of February at the Kansas City IABC Business Communicator Summit, so or affectionately known as BCS. And if, you, if folks saw the email that came out from IABC earlier this week, Alana Mueller's the guest one of the guests and speakers at the lunch hour, and she's providing tips right there about how to how to best network. So, you know, it's living living the experience there. Yeah, so excited for Business Communicator Summit. On, it's going to be February 23rd. That's a Thursday at KU Edwards campus. For those of you in the Kansas City metropolitan area, I know we have listeners all around, but for those of you in Kansas City, and I love their theme this year, Brent. It's, it's re- reconnect. Reconnect? I think reconnect. Yes. And boy, uh, how appropriate after, because I think they've had to, we actually launched the show, what, three years ago at BCS yes. mm-hmm. when it was in person. And they've, they've had to, just because of the timing, everybody wasn't quite back in person yet. So their last two, the two in between have been, have been virtual. So, you know, it's going to be an opportunity to get all of the marketing communicators in this area back together. And, and it's just a, a great event. There'll be, uh, you mentioned Alana, the keynoter will be Mark Schumann. We talked about him, I think, a little bit in our, our last episode. Really looking forward to not only hearing from him, but also probably dragging him into a room so you and I can talk to him a little bit for Cultivated Marketer. And then we're going to end the day with a panel that I've actually been asked to moderate, which is, I'm really excited about because the whole theme of that panel is going to be what's coming in Kansas City. It's very, very Kansas City specific over the next three or four years because we have an NFL draft. We have uh, obviously the World Cup coming up in, in a few years. And then in the middle of all that, there's going to be a brand new soccer stadium built for our, our women's professional soccer stadium, the Kansas City Airport. So, new airport's, yeah, airports opening up in a couple weeks. Yeah. Right, right. So we've got some really uh, former Kansas City Mayor uh, Sly James will be on that panel. Chamber President Joe Reardon, a guy you and I both know, Jake Jacobson, who's done a lot of agency work here helping KC Current with their stadium. And then one of the folks at the Kansas City Sports Commission that's helped bring in the, the World Cup. So yeah, very, very excited. And also I should mention Mike Goff, who's a KU alum and, and also actually has quite a history. He actually was on the team or on the recruitment group for Kansas City when we went for the World Cup back in the 1990s. So it'd be very interesting to hear him. And, and one of the things will be, how can we as communicators locally, you know, kind of take advantage of this great moment in time for our own organizations? And so, because man, I, I don't know, talk about 
a bunch of stuff lining up at once. It's, it's going to be a really cool time. So that panel should be interesting. But of course, as you know, breakout sessions that are always good. And would encourage anybody to just search for KCIABC Business Communicator Summit to get the full lowdown. That's uh, that's great. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I read a Business Insider article about the time we landed the World Cup around how for every other city in North America, it was going to be a month-long party when 2026 arrived. But for Kansas City, it was going to be a tipping point. Mm, yeah, much yeah. much like the Olympics were in Atlanta back in the 1990s, it was a mm-hmm. transformation. It was a transformational moment for that you know for that city. They the article equated that Kansas City was called out specifically in that that article. So it'd be interesting to to see yeah. the observations and perceptions of the the folks on that panel. And speaking of that, this episode will be out. You know, early part of February. So another, you mentioned a couple IMC program folks like Jake Jacobson and, you know, folks that have helped with that. Phil Bressler and other individuals mm-hmm. speaking for free event for KCIABC. I believe it's on Valentine's Day, February. February 14th. Mm-hmm. The Pilgrim Coffee about branding. So if folks are inclined for a cup of coffee and want to hear, hear Phil, they can do that. And then I know Social Media Club of Kansas City, if anybody wasn't able to catch Jackie Wynn, she was at Creative Morning. She's the own, former Broadway actress who was 10 years on Broadway and ended up settling here in Kansas City. She was at Creative Mornings, which does a monthly free program. There are probably about 200 people that go to that event yeah. every month. And I would highlight, it's not necessarily marketing specific, but from a networking standpoint, if you're in the creative, if you're a design, creator, storyteller, copywriter, for inspiration and to learn how to tell story and just to hear these, these tremendous narratives of perseveration and just the way people tackle the obstacles that are thrown in front of them and how they use creative solutions to address them. Creative Mornings is a great venue I'd encourage you to, to check out. But if you missed Jackie, she was the speaker at the last, this last couple of weeks, mm. Creative Mornings. She's going to be the speaker at the March 3rd Social Media Club event. And she's going to focus specifically, not so much on the narrative of how she created, went from Broadway actress to creating Vietnamese Cafe in Columbus Park with her Cafe Cafe, but more talking about the role social media played in growing her business. So she went from not really having any business whatsoever to now having this great brick and mortar in Columbus Park. That's really a it's it's really a beacon of light for the Asian American community here in Kansas City. And she's going to talk about the role social media played in that. So that'll be Friday, March 3rd, with more details to come. Very cool. Yeah. Anything else, Matt, you, you can think of? I, I don't think so. It's just, it's, man, it's, it's exciting time to be in, in our profession and our business and, and with, with stuff coming up locally, nationally, regionally. And, and so, and of course, uh, reconnecting is in person again, in a very substantial way. So that's what's still looking forward to that big BCS event, but, but no, let's, let's allow our listeners to hear a bit from Dr. Danny Legree. All right, folks, we have a wonderful time with Dr. Danny Legree. Enjoy. Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. 
And our guest today is a public relations professor at Kansas State University, my wife's alma mater, and co-founder of the Trajectory Project, an interesting series of early career navigation resources designed to assist the next generation of strategic communicators. We're going to be talking quite a bit about that today, strategic communication. Her knack for clear communication goes all the way back, and I, I absolutely love this, with my father being a former USDA employee, goes all the way back to her time at 4-H, where she won a regional public speaking award for her speech, If Barnes Could Talk. That told the life story, or the story of the life of her great-grandparents' farm from the perspective of the barn. Welcome, Danny Legree. Hey, it's really great to be here with you all. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. No, so glad to have you on the on the show. And, you know, Matt and I've been digging into this side project you have here, the trajectory project. And, and let's just start there. Tell us how that how that got started. Yeah, so that's something that I've been kind of, I call it a passion project, working on with my colleague at Kansas State, Dr. Katie Olson. Between the two of us, we have over 20 years of experience mentoring college students. And then, of course, we keep that relationship with them as they go out into the professional world. And one of the things that we noticed is that students, you know, they learn the tools and the skills to do their job in advertising, PR, marketing, communications but there's really less emphasis on career navigation. So lots of focus on, you know, get that first job after graduation, but a lot of early career professionals still don't really understand the principles of career navigation, especially in those first five years. So I've got the first job after I graduate, where do I go from here? What do I do to find personal and professional fulfillment and advance in my career? Yeah, you know, that, it's it's such a great concept, Danny. First of all, welcome welcome from me to the show as, as well. It's so good to see you again. And, and I just think your work is, Brett and I talked about it, so it's really right down Broadway for the concept we have for our show, obviously, in terms of helping helping your marketers. So again, thanks for thanks for joining us. But with regard to the trajectory project, I, I'm just kind of sort of interested then what when you talk about strategy, because I certainly agree, right? I, I know when I work with young students, the focus is on getting the job. And that's that's the holy grail. And when we get it, we sort of, you know, we're not kind of understanding that there will be a path beyond that in terms of just navigating the career. So what are some of the, the strategies and tools that the Trajectory Project offers? Yeah, so we have a variety of resources and really how it exists now is as a LinkedIn page and Instagram at Trajectory Project. So we have some tools and resources there and just commentary from the both of us, myself and Katie. And we've actually done quite a bit of work in terms of research over the past five years, looking at the early career phase of professional employment, specifically focused on early career professionals in advertising, PR, marketing, communication. So the fields that your podcast covers. One of the first studies that we did was a qualitative study where we interviewed 31 early career women in our field, what we kind of abbreviate as the creative communications field. And we were really interested in learning how they were navigating their careers during those first five years of employment is focusing specifically on, you know, what kinds of emotions were you experiencing? What were some challenges? How, if you were promoted, you know, how, what, how are you proactive in helping to advocate for yourself and making that self happen, making that happen? 
So from that research and then the continued research that we've done, we found four specific strategies that early career professionals really need to be engaging in during those first five years to set themselves up for long-term career success. And not just career success, but also, you know, how does my career integrate with my life? How do I find not only professional fulfillment, but personal fulfillment as well? Before I get into those four strategies, I also want to emphasize why we are focused on the first five years. And we dug into the, the existing research and a lot of the vocational behavior, career psychology research tells us that the first five years of your professional experience can really kind of make or break your career trajectory, right? So where your career goes and what you accomplish after those first five years. So a lot of the, you know, career psychology research that is out there right now is really focused on, you know, perspectives of executive level leadership and even how middle managers move to executive levels. And we don't really have a whole lot available yet on those first five years. So how can early career professionals be proactive? And then how can organizations and leaders nurture and support those professionals during the first five years? So going back to your original question, I know maybe I I got a little off topic there, but the four strategies that we identified to be proactive in your, what we refer to as career self-management. The first one is relationship building with your peers, organizational leaders, and those outside of your organization. So we'd really like to see early career professionals being being proactive and intentional about how they are developing those professional relationships. And what's interesting too about that finding is that of the 31 women that we interviewed, only 5% of them were actively building their professional networks outside of their organization. So only 5% were members of, you know, let's say PRSA or Ad Club or IABC, for example. And so that wasn't really that wasn't really happening and they didn't really feel like they had kind of a support system in place at their current place of employment to be active in those types of activities. The second proactivity behavior that we identified were young people really need to be identifying those advocates, mentors or role models within their organizations and externally who can help answer their questions about career navigation. So we talk about mentorship a lot in professional development and how important it is for organizations to have even a mentorship, kind of a formal mentorship in place, mentorship program in place. But we're finding that a lot of these mentorship relationships happen informally, and those are the most, typically the most impactful. So a lot of these young women said that they, they had professional relationships within their organizations that you know, they felt like they could really trust their manager. Uh, They got great advice. But the ones that they referred to as mentors were the ones who were invested in in them personally and professionally. And the third proactivity behavior is intentional confidence development. So the early career professionals who were really successfully navigating those first five years sought out ways to take on challenging work and projects that push them out of their comfort zones 
and really help to build their confidence. And, and we, we know that about confidence, that the, the best way to develop confidence is to get out of your comfort zone, take on something really tough and challenging. And you always know that, you know, even if it's a, it's a, if it's a positive experience or a bad experience, you always come out, you know, still doing okay. And then they had managers who supported and advocated them, advocated for them when they were taking on those those challenging projects. And then the last proactivity behavior is role negotiation, right? Early career professionals do not want to feel siloed to just one task that they're, that they're doing within their organization. They want the opportunity to take on different types of work. So part of that is, you know, as you get into your role, maybe you're six months or a year in, if you're specific position is not giving you the opportunity to grow and develop new skill sets, you might need to have a conversation with your manager about, you know, what kind of redefining your role might look like and why that's important for your professional career, but also your tenure and, you know, your loyalty to your current organization. Wow, that that's great. Thanks, Danny. And and I don't know about you, Brent, but as Danny was talking, I was, I was thinking about all the some of these themes we've talked about on the show with prior guests, right? You know, young young professionals wanting variety in the work that they do. And how about that first one in terms of relationship building, and, and of course the issues that we've seen with these membership organizations, IBC, PRSA, social media, that are having trouble recruiting at that very young professional level to speaking directly to your findings, Danny. That's fascinating stuff. It really is. Yeah, I my head was gravitating a number of different places, but particularly even the conversations we were having at IBC International about the confidence development and that strategy there. And one of the questions I would have with there for you is the notion of growth through failure mm-hmm. and how that strategy might approach growth through failure if you're able to speak to that for a moment. Because and I, and I saw a great little Instagram, or it wasn't on Instagram, a great little LinkedIn graphic somebody had posted for 2023. It said, you know, it was kind of the, the Nike variety, just do it, yeah. but I'm afraid. And, it, and then it said, okay, then just do it afraid, right? So that probably fit within that strategy. But I know, I know that's one of the obstacles for, for newer professionals oftentimes, or even career changers is maybe that fear of failure. So how, how do you approach that within that strategy? Yeah. So part of that just goes back also to having a supportive manager, your direct supervisor, the one, you know, who's overseeing your work, the one you're reporting directly to, you know, feeling comfortable and confident. And this goes back to another term that I see going around a lot in organizational psychology is that that notion of psychological safety. So even if your manager is encouraging you to take on a challenging project, they're going to have your back, even if it doesn't turn out the way that you thought it would. And they're also putting, giving you the resources to, to perform that specific project that's extra challenging in a way that's going to also help, help you be successful. So I think that that role, and this is something else I'd, like, I'd also like to go into a little bit more, is just the, the pivotal role of the middle manager in, in nurturing and supporting young talent, helping them to move up and get promoted throughout the organization leads to retention and employee loyalty and engagement. Now that I, I think it's extremely important to, to point out that role just as an advocate for all of their 
you know, all of their employees. And I, and I think that's not even a nice shift into some of the other strategies you talked about there where, you know, and you touched on this a little bit, but you even heard Matt and I get confused about it earlier is you used to emphasize this notion of finding professional identity. And I, you know, I kind of equated that to maybe professional brand, but you started to speak to that maybe in the notion of variety, right? But you've shifted, it sounds like success through some metrics has now really moved to developing one's professional network. Why, why was some of that shift in, in the way you've approached things from a strategy standpoint so important? Yeah, when we first started the trajectory project and really getting into this research, we were kind of laser focused on professional identity because that's what we we were seeing from a lot of our students, you know, saying, you know, this is who I am, this is what I'm passionate about. And they were kind of, you know, kind of had a, a rigid view, maybe some blinders on about how they viewed themselves as professionals. But as we started doing our research, we found it's really not about professional identity, you know, in in terms of, you know, a a predictor of career success and satisfaction. It's really about your professional network and how you're nurturing that and growing that. And the ways in which professional identity is different from your personal brand is your personal brand evolves over time, right, based on the different types of opportunities that you have in your career, I think that all of us can attest to that is that it's always a work in progress. We can't see it as, you know, this identity that never changes. So the reason for the shift to now we're focusing more on professional networking and what we call just kind of overall as professional relationships is that we're seeing that just having a profound impact on how young people navigate their careers. And it's really interesting the role of COVID, how that has really impacted, you know, the extent to which young people find, feel that they're going to get value out of professional relationships and being involved in professional associations. I think my generation growing up and then, you know, getting into their careers and certainly your all's generation, it was kind of a given. We knew that that's something that we had to do. This generation of young people They've, you know, they've been learning a lot in the online environment. They're doing a lot of things behind the screen. So their perception and their assumption is that, oh, I don't really have to get face to face, you know, in front of people to make those connections. And as we know, that's certainly not the case, right? You have to get out there and meet people and go out for coffee and and those sort of things. So it's a missing piece from how they've grown up and how they're experiencing professional college life right now and certainly professional life starting out. That's the missing piece, but it is it is really important. And I want to share a little bit of data from a recent survey that we did. And it's, it's a smaller survey, so sample size of just 136 early career professionals. So first five years, we were really focusing on professional network development. And if there's any relationship between that and job outcomes such as job satisfaction, employee loyalty, those types of things. And so what we found is that professional network, right, developing your professional network, mobilizing that to leverage career advancement, that predicts career adaptability. So your ability to look at your career from different perspectives and uncover new opportunities It also predicts professional self-efficacy, so the confidence that you have in doing your job well. 
It predicts job satisfaction in your current role at your current organization. But the strongest relationship that it had with a job outcome was employee loyalty, which I think is really interesting. So for these young people, the more that they are developing their professional network, the more loyal they are to their organizations. So that should be a huge motivator for organizations and leadership managers thinking about giving young people these opportunities to be involved in associations and not only saying, yeah, we'll cover your membership fee, but also communicating the value of, you know, going to lunch and learns, conferences like the Business Communicator Summit leads to overall, I just think, better career satisfaction. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree and certainly see that with a lot of the young pros that, that I work with as well. But Danny, let me take a step back just a little bit from an age group perspective, because you and I are both in university settings. We work with a lot of the 18 to 22 year olds, right? So not yet through with college, not yet into their career. One thing I notice with, with, with a lot of our more undergraduate aged students is that they'll, they'll kind of sign on, right? They'll major in marketing communications or strategic communications. But then I often get the feeling that they don't have a real solid understanding of what a career path even looks like in that field, or they'll be confused about it. Or, and, and of course, some of them you know, are more proactive, maybe have internships and things like that. But I, it's just been, it's sort of actually been a little bit shocking to me that, that they don't seem to have that clear view for, for what their career path could look like. And I've been trying to think as my, I don't do as much undergraduate teaching, I, I don't think as you do, but you know, what kinds of things can we do to help give them that better view of, of, of what a profession like this can offer them? And so I just throw that out there. I don't know if, if you've noticed it as much as I have, or, or if you have any thoughts on maybe some things that we can do for those of us that are, that are educators for that group to, to help to really give them a clear view of, of what a, you know, I think an exciting and really stimulating career this, this can be. Yeah, I, I see that as well. I, I think it's a huge challenge because there's not one formula, right, for how we navigate our careers in communication. And any of us in the field right now will, you know, a lot of us, I think, will say, you know, I had no idea that I'd end up doing what I'm doing because sometimes, you know, a lot of the jobs that we're talking about that we have today, you know, technology changes so fast. They didn't even exist five, 10 years ago. So I think that how it hits current college students differently is that I think that they do a lot of a lot of comparison. I talk to students all the time, you know, getting towards December graduation, May graduation, and they are so discouraged because their roommate, who's an accounting major, has had a job lined up with a major company, you know, since they finished their summer internship. It just doesn't work that way in our field. And that's where I think that this notion of career curiosity, having a growth mindset, being, you know, being really open-minded is really, really important. We really have to emphasize to our current college students that it's okay to not know, you know, exactly what's next, that, that you, it's important to follow your curiosity. It's important to explore different types of jobs that are out there. And that goes hand in hand with developing your professional network, because the more that you're learning from other people who are doing what you might want to be doing one day, the more you're going to hear from them about the different opportunities in the field. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a good advertisement, right, for 
hey, college students out there, avail yourselves of things like PRSSA and some of the IABC Young Education uh, Special Interest Groups that we have out there. I just saw another chapter was formed at Texas Tech University. And, and so you know, I actually talked to some of the organizers there, and a lot of what they're trying to do is, is again, create that visibility to what a career looks like and, and things like that. But even in classes, I mean, I do think there are some things we can do. I mean, one thing, I, I certainly try to bring in a lot of guest speakers just because you know, that's a, that's an easy way for a student in a classroom to, you know, and, oh, okay, this person runs an advertising agency and here's what that means and here's what they do. Right. So on that, on that note, I'm going to ask you, you each a question <laughs> because you and you and Matt have a similar career path. I'm the, I'm the odd one out in this conversation <laughs> so, to some degree, right? Although Matt's tried to pull me into the world of academia. You guys have this similar career path where you started as you know, professionals working in consulting or agency environments and public relations, and then you switched uh, to academia, you know, maybe who was that mentor for you? Who did you see in the room if it were a guest speaker? And and how is that, why did you make that change? And how, you know, how's that worked for, for you? And Danny, I'll, I'll let you start and then I'll, and I may pick on Matt later when we do do our opening, but I'm going to let Danny, I'm going to let you address that because, you know, us talking about that, has that been part of the modeling and even the, you know, the impetus for some of the work you've done? Well, I definitely had no idea I would be where I am today teaching college students. So I, I, I don't know, I can go over my career path a little bit to explain just how I ended up here. But you know, I'm the first person from my family to go to college. So I started off when, when I went to college, I was really confused about why some professors had doctor in front of their name. I just didn't understand it because I'd never been exposed to anything like that. So just again, go, kind of going back to that growth mindset and keeping your, op- your, your options open, being curious about, oh, you know, this sparks my interest. Let me, let me try a little bit more of that to see where this could go. It's so important. But after I finished my my master's program, well, first of all, I, I did my undergrad in PR at the University of Central Missouri. They have a great program there. And I was ready to just, after I graduated, to hit the ground running. But we were still recovering from the recession. And there just weren't, <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of opportunities available. And a great friend of mine, a mentor, she still runs the PR program there. Dr. Trisha Hansenhorn encouraged me to stay to get my master's because they have a student-led PR agency there. And that experience came with, I had my tuition covered. So that was a priority for me. I didn't want to go into any more student debt. So I went ahead and took advantage of that opportunity and I, and I loved it. I loved the mentorship, you know, continuing to advance my education and learn and I was able to manage a group of five students. And I think at the time we had about five different clients. And I just love building teams, nurturing client relationships, those types of things. And then after I finished there, I worked at Berkeley. So when I was working there, it was actually a Crossroads PR is now Barclay P- so it was Barclay PR and then they kind of, you know, spun off as Crossroads and then back to Barclay PR now, I think. But I kind of fell into, I worked, I was so fortunate. I worked directly with Mike Swinson. It was a phenomenal experience. Helping them out a lot with just with new business, coordinating RFPs, doing potential client research, helping to prep for pitches. And and I loved that. I never thought, you know, as an undergrad 
or even a grad student that I would be involved in new business development. But I loved it. I think it just goes back to my passion for, you know, organizational communication and really helping organizations, you know, move the business needle. But he was he was a great mentor for me. Also, I think I'm going to get off on another tangent here. But a lot of the research that I do, too, is in, you know, the experiences of young women. And he, the, the leadership team that he had while he was there, he, the leadership was all women. And I remember him saying, you know, anytime we got, we won another account or, you know, something really great happened in the agency and in, in our specific unit, you know, he would say, this is great news. And it's all thanks to the women who run, who run Crossroads, Crossroads at the time, but the women who, you know, so it, that just always made, left such an impact on me because it was that recognition that it's not just one person who makes an organization successful. It's it's a lot of people working together. And then from there, I went to Bernstein Rain and did some business development there and then really just wanted to try out client side. So I was at Sulpata after that, which is, I loved it because it was, you know, locally run agency or organization in Overland Park. They've since been bought out by another company, but it's it's a jewelry company and it wasn't a direct to consumer they had representatives that sold their product and i am not so you know talking again about having that growth mindset and following your curiosity i did not intend on taking the job because i was passionate about jewelry and fashion in fact i'm i i don't i could care less about fashion but the reason that i was so intrigued by the job is because i knew i'd be working under someone who would advocate for me and help me grow as a professional. And that was, I'm going to do a lot of a lot of name dropping here, I think, because, you know, we, we don't get anywhere alone. But that was Michaela Pierce, who was at Barkley for a long time and then at Zapata and now does her own consulting. But she is still a great mentor for me today. I took the job basically because I, I knew I'd be working under her and would be part of a team of people that I could learn a lot from. And I saw when I was interviewing, I, I saw the, the growth potential and the different types of projects that I would take on. So that's another thing that I advise our students today. It's not just about the job title or the job description. When you're interviewing, you just have to take a look around at the types of people that you're going to be working with. Are they people who are going to challenge you and support you and encourage you to take risks and try new things. I think that's even more important than the type of organization that you're working for. And then during that time, I started adjunct teaching back at UCM, fell in love with teaching all over again, higher ed, and just thought, you know, maybe I should make this my career. And it was, it was, you know, Dr. Trisha Hansenhorn who said, I think you should think about getting your PhD. And it was, you know, those words that were uttered to me that just, you know, another door was open. Okay, maybe I'll go for this and try it out. So I got my PhD at Mizzou, applied for the job here at K-State. And that's how it worked out for me. I know that was a long-winded response to your question, but I think it's definitely a testimony to just, you know, it's important to have people in your corner and a support system to help you navigate those different types of decisions and what, you know, what your potential could be and what your future could be. No, I think it's amazing that you were able to, through expressing your own journey, be able to point back to a couple of the strategies and the facets 
of some of the tools and resources and some, like you mentioned, the support system, your peer group, and be able to point back to those things that you've learned through your own career journey, because I think that's the best way to, you know, to teach is through a lot of those, a lot of those experiences, but please don't tell me that adjunct is a gateway to <laughs> academia or, and then I'm going to end up uh, hot on the tail of Matt Tidwell over here. So, but I thank you for, uh, through walking, you know, through expressing that journey and doing it in a way of, you know, showcasing some of the strategies you, uh, that you teach as well. Yeah. I mean, you never know, Brent, you might end up, you know, being a professor one day. <laughs> You can never tell. We'll, we'll keep working on it. No, that's great. Really appreciate your your career story there, Danny, for sure. And you know, one of the things you've mentioned, I want to shift gears maybe just a little bit and talk about it, is this issue of how the industry is constituted and frankly gender representation, right? Because I know one of the things I see in in, in I see I see two ends of the spectrum. I see too few women at the very, very top levels of our business. And also, and, and I, this may just be observational, just the way it is, but when I, when I teach my courses in strategic communications and young professionals in their first two or three years of, of the business, my classes are 80%, easily 80% female. So I'm seeing heavy representation of females early in career and, I'm, and sometimes mid-career. But then, you know, when, when we think about it, probably not nearly the representation we should have of females at, at the very top of the industry, running the very top agencies, either locally, regionally, nationally. And so I, would, I just, just to get, I know you, you've, you've looked mostly at women in the business. So where are we today in terms of representation of, of the genders within the business? And, you know, how can, I guess, how can we get more young men interested in the business at the very beginning, but then also work to help represent females more, more heavily and, uh, at the top of the field? Yeah, that's yeah, I have done a lot of work in that area. And you're absolutely right. I mean, and the, and the data speaks for itself that we see a lot of women early on in the field in our in my classrooms. Yeah, easily 80% female. But then as we we look at organizations at the corporate or the corporate executive level in terms of, you know, even an agency leadership is, is still dominated, the C-suite still dominated by men. And I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. I think it's, you know, I think it is natural for women, you know, once they they kind of get to that level, they have to, unfortunately, sometimes have to make a decision of, you know, do I want to continue taking on more responsibility or do do I want, you know, to make sure that I can be home every day at five to be with my kids? So I think, I think some of that is just, it, it kind of, it tends to occur naturally, but that's why we were so interested in this early career phase is because it's it's those first five years of full-time employment that can help a young woman understand and visualize a path to leadership. And so investing in those first five years, and it might be even, you know, from that entry level, prom- then promotion to middle level manager. And then and then from there, you have certainly an upward moving trajectory. I think that we have made a lot of headway in the past couple of years, especially, you know, I hate to say post COVID, I guess we are <laughs> kind of out of it now. But organizations, I think, are now starting to realize that there's so much value in letting employees work where they want and when they want. And with that flexibility, I think opens up even more doors for 
for women to rise up in the ranks. So I really, I'm very optimistic for, you know, what leadership and the C-suite can look like, you know, five, even 10 years from now. But, you know, sometimes when we get on this, this topic of gender rep- representation and leadership, sometimes I, I see or I hear the, na- the narrative kind of turning into kind of like this anti-man narrative. And I really, I don't support that because I think that we, we need both men and women in leadership because we both bring different skill sets and strengths and perspectives to the table. And in terms of, Matt, what you said about young men, you know, we can't forget the young men either and supporting them early on in their careers because now more than ever, I think that young men really need those professional mentors and role models in their lives to even to show them the way forward. Yeah, I I appreciate what you mentioned about perspective. A lot of the diversity discussion that's happening, you know, out the emphasis around DEI, A, B, belonging, and a lot of that belonging includes diversity of thought, right? Yeah. So that that's a, a an important component of a lot of the the diversity work that's being done out done out there. Yeah, and you want it to be authentic. It's not you know, it's not just about numbers or making sure, you know, oh, at the leadership level, we have to make sure it's 50% men, 50% women. I think everyone would agree that people should be promoted based on their skills and abilities and track records, not because of gender. In fact, that's what women have been saying for a long time, right? Yeah. Well, and you taught you touched on that earlier skills and abilities and Matt and I've had these conversations along the way with folks like Mike Swenson around, mm-hmm. you know, some of those are hard skills, right? Your ability to execute a great pitch, right? If you're a public relations professional yeah. and some of those, as you touched on our middle management skills, are you, are you a great coach? Are yeah. you a great advocate? Are you a person that can remove obstacles and create a, a great culture of of success, which are completely different set of skills than being able to pitch, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a few other things that came top of mind for me as I was hearing you, you know, talk about, you know, pitching soft, you know, more soft skills. First of all, you know, this, this younger generation, I know a lot of them, they're super comfortable, right? Doing remote work, you know, and being behind their screens. And I, I would love to see organizations really help to communicate the value of being in the office for these young workers. And not that, you know, you have to be in there from eight to five, five days a week, but really helping them understand, you know, this is going to help set you up for success. Because what we have learned through a lot of our data and our, our interviews with, with the young women is that when they had a, a mentor or a role model, whether that's that mentor as male or female, they were constantly observing them, watching them in meetings, you know, picking up on how they presented themselves, how they pitched ideas, how they confidently communicated their perspective. And they looked to those people as role models and really appreciated them for how they were able to show you know, this is how you can earn influence in your organization. And a lot, so much of that comes from observation and being in the office and being in in-person meetings. So that's, that's one part of it. And the other part is that I, I really want executive leaders to, to, to understand how 
how pivotal that middle that middle manager is, how influential the middle manager is in helping to support and retain young workers and not just retain them. Like I know that everyone's so interested in retention because we're, you know, there's a talent war going on right now, as we all know about. But really being focused on not only retaining them, but it's the middle managers that show these young these young workers, what does my path to, to leadership look like at my current place of employment? If they know that path and they understand what's required to get those promotions and move up and earn that recognition and the pay raise and the new title that comes with it, a lot of those young workers are going to stay. And so it's really important that those middle managers have the support and the resources that they need. And ideally, in the perfect world, right, the time to invest in actually, you know, managing and um, mentoring and developing these younger workers. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you, the middle management thing really rings true to me. I worked for a global pharmaceutical company about 20 years ago, where we would routinely survey employees on the effectiveness of the communications they were getting. And one of the ways we would we would cut that was by level, right? So effectiveness of frontline supervisors, middle management, senior executives, the, the group that always lagged behind, always, with every single survey was middle managers, right? <laughs> frontline supervisors, yeah. job, but kind of new in the job and maybe working with a smaller group and, and being engaged. Senior executives, by necessity, the good ones understood they had to be good communicators. Middle managers, we had to send them all back to training school. <laughs> Because it was, <laughs> it, it just was a, this a black hole in the middle of the organization. So it's it's a great point, Danny. I'm so glad to hear you focus on on that area because I think it really rings true. Hey, I know you've been generous with your time. I though I have to ask you one of the things that's so cool about you is you really do span such a broad area in terms of your research. But I know you received kind of a really nice honor in, in 2021. Some of your research into what young workers. You touched on this a bit with workplace, but specifically what young workers in the in in the workplace want in terms of the workplace. And it was featured in Fast Company, certainly one of my favorite reads and, and kind of a must for marketers. Can you tell us, just because we want to put that in the show notes, I went back and read the article. It's fascinating. Tell us a little about that research and, and what you found. Yeah, we did some some research on what, what we've called respectful leadership communication. So kind of look de- debunking, you know, the notion of we have to give employees a lot of perks and really looking at, you know, what does leadership communication look like in terms of increasing employee loyalty and retention. And I really do have to give another another shout out to my research partner for this one, and that's Margaret Duffy at Mizzou, the Novak Leadership Institute there. We worked together with a team of other people on this study. And so, yeah, we surveyed, it was over a thousand young workers aged 21 to 31. And we were really interested in this notion of workplace respect because a lot of the existing literature talks about how, you know, workers really do at the end of the day, they just want to be respected more. So, you know, the biggest motivator of feeling fulfilled in your career is not just about salary or benefits or getting free gym memberships from your employer. It's really about, do I feel respected on a day-to-day basis? And what we found is that respect, so we, so we measured two different types of respect. One was just respectful engagement, so just the overall kind of culture of, your, of respect that you experience in your workplace. But the other one was earned respect. So res- the, the recognition that you get from your supervisor or your boss and how that you know, relates to 
job satisfaction, loyalty, and engagement. And that recognition, the specific recognition from your supervisor or boss was the strongest predictor of job satisfaction, employee loyalty, and engagement. So, you know, going back to our previous discussion on middle management and just the power of, you know, a simple phrase that that can be, you know, communicated to these younger workers, it goes, it's such a long way. It goes such a long way and it makes a a really big impact. And something else that I want to mention about this is that I've heard a lot of young people, young workers, and this comes through in a lot of our research is that they're like, you know what? I don't need another company branded water bottle when I meet my goals, or I don't need to be, you know, honored at, you know, our company monthly happy hour or whatever, they, they want to be, they want to receive recognition from decision makers and leaders in their organization. So it would mean a lot to a young person if the middle manager let someone at the C-suite level or an executive leadership know, hey, so-and-so, they really knocked it out of the park on this specific project. Can you just, you know, stop by their office or, you know, maybe just set up a quick Zoom call with them to let them know, you know, that they're making an impact to the bottom line of this organization. And I think that kind of just, it's very simple, but oftentimes goes unnoticed. But that direct communication from someone in a very influ- at a very in- influential level to that entry level early career employee is really valuable. It makes them, it helps them feel valued and it helps them understand the, that the work that they are doing really does matter. So we hear a lot from young people today, Matt. I know that you've heard this probably from your students. Oh, I just want to make a difference. I want to do meaningful work. And sometimes that meaningful work isn't always, you know, it's not inherent to these young workers, especially since a lot of them are doing, you know, the tactical work instead of the, the strategy part. But they, they need to hear that value from their middle managers as well as executive leadership of, you know, the day-to-day tasks that you're doing here are making an impact. And that goes so much further in terms of loyalty, retention, engagement than, you know, branded swag. Well, and I worry we still have a ways to go on that. I was pretty too. I was actually kind of sitting as a fly on the wall in a conversation with some business leaders just about a year ago as sort of everything was opening back up, maybe a year and a half. And one of the comments that was made was, well, gosh, you know, we've got these 600 employees, you know, how are we, the phrase that was used, how are we going to lure them back? Right. Which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and so then the conversation, well, we need more pool tables. We need more, you know, <laughs> beer fridges. You, know, you can guess what industry I'm talking about here. But anyway, yeah. the, and, and you know, I just remember thinking, how about treating your people the right way? You know, I realize yeah. it's common sense, but maybe now that's more important than ever if you truly want to, quote, lure them back. So, yeah, uh, yeah that definitely, definitely rings true for sure. Well, Danny, at the, at the risk of making my undergrad journalism student so I have one at the University of Kansas making him cringe. I know that Matt and I have mad respect for for you and the insights that you've shared with us today. You know, we've talked about, you know, the first five years and the importance of that and some of the strategies. What else maybe on the the connected series of actions would you like to mention that we may have missed in in some of the conversation that we've that we've had today? I would just say 
you know, the emphasis on organizations supporting those younger employees spending some of their time in professional associations and not just, you know, covering membership fees, dues, whatever that might be, paying for a lunch and learn, but helping them understand that we want you to do this because it's going to help cultivate your professional network. It's going to give you a sense of career satisfaction. We are interested not only in, you know, what you're doing day to day here in your job, but we are interested in in developing you as, you know, a well-rounded professional. And part of that is being involved in professional associations, especially early on in your career. And, and, and you spoke to the benefit of that earlier being the company gets a return on investment yeah. there with loyalty, right? right? Which is, which is, which right. is phenomenal. So you've provided so many great insights. Where, where can people find more about the trajectory project? Yeah, it's LinkedIn. It's, it's we have it set up as a company page, so you can just search the trajectory project and it and it should come up. And then I have a website that's still still a work in progress, dannylegree.com, that I, I plan on producing some white papers about some of this research so that people don't have to read through a 20-page journal article about it. <laughs> very very modest. I was on the website and it looks lovely with lots of great insights in the blog and the and the like. Well, Danny, thanks for joining Matt and I today. We've really enjoyed the, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. It's been so much fun to be a part of this. And I just thank you for the work that you're doing with the podcast and the focus on professional development is, is a huge advantage for all of your listeners. Appreciate it. If you found value in today's episode, check us out on our website, cultivatedmarketer.com. You'll also be able to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Remember, a garden of opportunity grows with Cultivated Marketers.